0: United Colours, hosted by Caroline Verdon and Paul Carruthers. Voices from the LGBT Plus Staff Network at Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. Welcome to episode three. Uh, We're really excited for you to hear this episode because our guest Ellie has such a way with words. She really managed to describe to me somebody who has no real understanding of what on earth it must feel like to be in the wrong body. What life has been like for her and talking to her was a real eye-opener I just felt like I learned so much she's just got such a way with words
1: she really does she's so eloquent and I was delighted when she put herself forward to be part of the podcast I've I've heard her talk before and I've heard all about her and how much she's doing for the trans community so yeah it was it was amazing conversation
0: so she is a consultant isn't she in palliative care
1: she is but she's Also done some work with Hospice UK in producing a report on trans and gender diverse people's experiences of end of life care. So she really is an amazing person.
0: So we hope you enjoy listening to Ellie as much as we did.
1: It's really hard to describe
2: to somebody who's never experienced dysphoria what dysphoria is. I often kind of say to cisgender women, imagine you woke up tomorrow with a full beard. How would you feel about that? Um, or to men imagine you woke up tomorrow with breasts how would you feel about that and most people feel quite distressed by that thought um, because you don't ever have to think about your internal sense of your own gender until it doesn't match so so if you try and pitch yourself with a beard then often most people feel quite challenged by that some people don't and that's absolutely fine but that's about as close as I can get to describing what dysphoria is because I've got a map in my brain that says I'm supposed to be one way but I'm clearly a different way when I look in the mirror and and it's like trying to find your way around New York with a map of Paris and the only way to actually deal with that situation is to get a map of New York and make it work. And, and that's what transitioning is, to try and make those two things align. When I was growing up, I knew there was something that was different about me from about the age of six. Um, But I grew up under Section 28, which for people that don't know, is a law that the government of the time put in that said that gay people couldn't be talked about in school. There was actually nothing to do with trans, but obviously we were lumped in with everybody else. So LGBT conversation was never part of my language I didn't know what it was I grew up in quite a conservative Catholic family so the idea of knowing that I felt like I should be a different way to how I was but there was an expectation of me to be extremely manly man and not knowing that trans people existed until I was 16 was horrible. And so I internalised a whole pile of shame and guilt and disgust and rejection. And Fundamentally, that took me years to work through, and it wasn't until I worked through that that I was able to say, right, what do I want for my life? Do I want to continue this way with dysphoria? And how I dealt with dysphoria, and I can't describe it for anyone else, was was that I just depersonalized from it. It was almost like watching the world through someone else's eyes. And I knew that it was happening, but I was very disconnected from it. So, which to most people who know me is is feels really strange because. I am quite empathetic and warm to other people, but I had very little connection to my own emotions. And that was how I had to deal with dysphoria because my own emotions were too overwhelming. So I had to numb myself to them. So I say that existing with dysphoria was like walking through the world anaesthetized slightly to the world and emotions of myself. So I had a choice of saying, I can carry on like this and I can carry on in this kind of um, fugue state, as it were, Or I can try and transition and see if there's something better. And I couldn't really have picked a worse time in society to do it. But also for me, it's absolutely the best and right time to have done it. And and I feel so much more comfortable in myself, allowing me to exist as I'm supposed to be and trying to make it more like I'm supposed to be. And I have a long way to go. I don't pass as a woman. By that, I mean, you wouldn't look at me and say most people still gender me as male and that's quite hard but also just feeling like I'm actually being myself and not having to play a role that isn't me is just so liberating.
0: And has that had um, an impact upon work? You who you were before but the real you who you are now. Do you find yourself feeling different, acting different?
2: Um, I, I feel like because I had to compartmentalise so much of my brain to kind of get through the day, I feel like it's just given me the space and freedom to think more about work and think more about the world and, and think more about um, what I want to do as part of it as well. And it, it's just rather than kind of having to just hold on, and get through and obviously you know I, I did that quite successfully I was a consultant before I transitioned I'm not saying that I couldn't do stuff I, I have done stuff but it's just given me the space and freedom to um explore the work side of things as well and kind of what do I want to do from that and is is it just the kind of the, the day job of seeing patients which is really important and I love and I would never want to get rid of but also do I want to do research, education, teaching, training, all of those things, which I kind of dipped my toes in before, but fundamentally, I just didn't have the brain space to do. So so it's given yeah. me the freedom to do that, if that makes sense.
1: And Ellie, when you got to the point of feeling able to be come out at work and begin your transition, I'm interested to know what that was like for you, sort of having those conversations with your work colleagues and how supported you felt, if at all.
2: I found it challenging, but but lots of that was because of my internalised fear and expectation of rejection. Um, because if you, I mean, if you anyone's been on Twitter recently, you, you'll, you'll know that trans people fear rejection, um, because it's quite a hostile place. So in terms of that kind of anticipatory anxiety of preparing to kind of be dismissed, it was fairly difficult. So I took it really slowly. And particularly for me, because I work for I was part of multiple different organisations. It wasn't just one set of colleagues I had to come out to. It was several. And what I basically did was I have friends who I work with. They were the first I came out to because it felt like they were probably the safest. And then I went through who had pronouns on their email, because if they had pronouns on their email, they were probably safe harbour. Or it was more likely they were safe harbour. And then I had to kind of take a chance and just um, trust that it was going to be okay. So fundamentally, I got to a stage in my transition where I had to change my GMC number, uh, General Medical Council registration number to practice as a doctor. Um, because in order to change gender, you have to get a new number and change your name. And I couldn't do that without talking to my actual life manager about it. So it kind of became a well, it's just going to have to be how it is because I need to do this, and fundamentally, um, it it doesn't matter what their response is. And, and actually, their response was really positive and and supportive, and and a lot of it was built up in my head. and And I've been quite lucky in lots of ways, and that my colleagues have generally been. Um, Quite supportive. I think similarly to what you said, Caroline, at the start is that they, they may not understand it, but but they know me as a human, and therefore they see it as something that's sincere and, and genuine, rather than. So even though they can't necessarily understand it, they they absolutely accept it. And what happened for, for me was that we found a point of contact as a line manager. She took a lead on taking me through that. Transition process and the the actual internal side, along with someone from HR. And they kind of stepped through very carefully um, what I needed to go through and sorted it out effectively. And I feel like I was really lucky to have those people who could write to IT and go, change it, sort it out. Um, Because I'm not sure everybody has that. And I think part of that is my privilege as a consultant, which I'm very grateful for. And I'd really hope that other people have the same experience in the trust as me. But I feel really lucky to have had access to those people who can get stuff done.
1: And you talk about when you came out, you approached people who had pronouns on their emails. Um, and it's something I'm quite keen for the trust to adopt, certainly from an exec level down, because I think it promotes a trust of inclusivity. I wonder what your take is on on how important that is. and And, you know, for somebody who might be cisgendered and and still identifies with the gender they were assigned at birth how important it could be for them to put their pronouns on their emails
2: so i mean for, for me there's a few reasons and and the first thing i would say is if you're not comfortable to put your pronouns on either because you're not sure why you're doing it or because you're not comfortable with your own pronouns and you don't want to have to disclose them when they may not feel right for yourself then you shouldn't have to like pronouns should never be mandatory ever Um, and I think sometimes people think that it's a blanket and either everyone does or no one does. So that's the one side. But the advantages of it for me are that it fundamentally means that in emails I get gendered correctly. Um, It's the only chance I have of getting gendered correctly because, as you say, if you actually see me, most people still read me as a man and will use he, him pronouns for me. So it's really important for me as a trans person But for people who aren't trans, why it's important is that if I'm the only person that's got pronouns on their email, you immediately know that I'm trans. So Mm. it stops it being a marker of transness to have pronouns on your email so that you don't immediately have to out yourself. But the other thing that's really important is actually from my perspective as a trans person, if you've displayed your pronouns, I probably know I'm going to be okay with you. And that anxiety about disclosing my identity to someone is horrible and overwhelming. And having your pronouns on your email just removes that anxiety. And so if you've got a colleague who's trying to come out or thinking of coming out, it just is going to make their life so much easier to have your pronouns there. And I know people say, well, my pronouns are obvious. It's like, yes, but it's a marker of support and it's a marker of welcome, and it's a marker of safety, which is why it shouldn't be ubiquitous as well, because if everybody's doing it, it's no longer a marker of those things. But it's really important because it tells me I'm going to be okay. And I know as, as a colleague, I would want people to know that they're going to be okay with me.
1: I think that's really powerful to for something that's Quite easy to do, and as you say, you know it should never be a blanket policy. But for you to feel that that's somebody potentially a safe place for you to go to to disclose your trans identity, I think that's quite powerful.
2: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, as I say, when I was ranking who I was coming out to, it was people with pronouns were were right there at the top of it, and it just made my life much easier when people had them displayed Um, and. I think people don't think about that aspect. They often think about the solidarity with trans people aspect, which is important, but actually it's to make trans people who are coming out feel safe with you. And that's really important.
0: And how was it coming out in terms of with patients? So, again,
2: it was one of my biggest fears um most most patients have been absolutely fine um I have the advantage in palliative care of being able to develop relationships with patients over quite a long period of time and get to know them quite well so the the patients who I'd been looking after for a while I, I think because they again because they knew me they just accepted it and moved past it um and and to be honest, most patients that I've encountered either are totally fine with it and just use the right pronouns and don't have any issues at all, um, and the others just don't say anything about it at all. So I've been really lucky so far to not have any negative responses from that perspective in terms of um, patients. I know that some people have, um, but I've been fortunate enough not to experience that so far. And I think, again, I know I keep coming back to this, but part of that is I'm a consultant. That gives me a kind of level of authority and shielding because there's a sense that I have some power as well. So people may not be as willing to disrupt that power relationship by challenging that. But I also try not to make a thing of it in the dynamic because fundamentally in the patient space and part of care, It's absolutely about the patient it's it's not to do with me so so I try and remove my energy from the space as much as possible and provide a kind of blank canvas um, of warmth and safety for them to share their story because actually in that moment it's about them it's not about me so it doesn't really come up because I deliberately withdraw all aspects of me so that they've got the space to enter into it to open up to and that's a really important part of palliative care and holistic care is making them feel safe to talk about their concerns and worries not just their physical health if that makes sense
0: yeah it does and yeah, y- 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 you've spoken a bit about you know how you've had so many positive responses and obviously everybody's different but what does a positive response look like if somebody was to come to me and say look I know you think I'm such and such a gender um I'm not um what is the the best response that we can give
2: um for me it's very easy to know the difference between welcomed and tolerated um there is a warmth to a welcome and it's a kind of so so there's literally been some people who have gone that is the most wonderful news thank you so much and just given me a hug um and for some people they may find that awkward who don't like hugs but but for me that was okay and then then there's other people that have just kind of shrugged their shoulders and and, and moved on and and that's okay that's absolutely fine not everybody has to do it but but i also making me feel like they actually still want me there and they see it as valid for me the kind of real test comes the days after and then the weeks and months after you've told them it's like well are they gendering you correctly now are they using your right name are they um talking about you in the context of other women um or are they still kind of grouping you in with the men and um certainly I, i see that difference and i'm very aware of it most of it comes from Um, lack of thought rather than actual malice Um, but it is the difference for me is is, is making someone feel welcome is just getting it right and doing the work and getting it right Um, and you know everybody makes mistakes and that's absolutely fine but it's correcting yourself and moving on and getting better because I see that progress from people over time.
1: That's amazing and Ellie do you think now in 2023, yes that's not 2022, (laughs) at some stage I'll get it right, Um, as a trans woman working for the NHS or specifically Leeds Teaching Hospitals, can you come to work and be your authentic self or is there more more that we can do or more that society can do?
2: Um, I mean I think it's a really good question, I'm not sure that Employers are quite aware of how hostile it is for trans people out there at the moment um and the kind of burden of anxiety of well, are my rights about to be stripped away and and am I still going to be able to kind of live as I've been living and are there facilities for me to use at work? Is it okay for me to go to the women's toilet at work, or if I don't feel comfortable doing that, is there a gender neutral toilet at work and, these are questions that go through my mind and it's just added weight that I have to take to work that other people might not have to have, which just adds that burden of the daily chore. And of course, LTHT is inclusive and it is welcoming and and certainly it's not been discriminatory in any way. but, But what I would always challenge employers to say is, well, actually, are we making it clear that people are welcome as they are? Are we making it clear that we have these facilities to accommodate people if need be? Because I think they do exist, um, and I think LTHT would be supportive of that, um, but I don't think it's explicit anywhere. and And I think that, again, what... I would say when it comes to this kind of thing, for the employer to be explicit and open and say, this is what you can expect from us as a trans person and how we will make you feel welcome, rather than just going, well, of course you're welcome. Why are you worried about that? Because fundamentally it's about trying to meet a group of people who feel very scared of the world, who feel quite intimidated by lots of things that are going on and saying, you don't need to be that here, you can be whoever you want to be, rather than expecting them to just know and understand that, because of course we treat everyone the same, it's like, well you might do, but I don't know that, unless you tell me, and I think that's the thing, is is I see pride messaging, and I and I see some good stuff, and I see some really great work, but I'd love to see that kind of warmth of acceptance of everybody and making explicitly clear that this we're fostering an environment that says everyone is welcome here and everybody can be whoever they want to be. Does that make sense? Because I'm not going to say here for a second that LTHT don't do a lot of good stuff. They do loads of good stuff. But that is the thing for me that would make it even better.
1: But that is... Makes perfect sense because you're telling me that as a trans woman that that's going to make your life better. And I think it's sort of just picking up on an earlier point about what it's like for the trans community outside of your job as a consultant and how difficult that must be because it's certainly very politicized at the moment. I think we can just probably leave it there. So I I can't imagine as as a, a cis male. Um, you know I'm a strong ally of the trans community um, but I can't imagine what that must be like impacting on you as a person and, and having to come to work to do to do your job but it, I can only imagine that it must be difficult
0: It's about having the conversations isn't it as well because I would hope that I would be considered welcoming if anybody I knew was to say that they, they felt that they wanted to transition but I don't live in the world that you've described where I step out of my front door and I am concerned all the time about will somebody say something where well, I can't feel like I'm my true self. So things like you've mentioned in the workplace wouldn't have occurred to me. It wouldn't have occurred to me actually, do you know what? It isn't, it isn't enough to have the policy to say we are welcoming and we are accepting. You have to go far, far, far beyond that for that to be truly felt
2: yeah, and, and and fundamentally it is only through conversation do we begin to understand each other. And and I, I think for me, sometimes sitting down with a cup of tea and just saying, Ask me all of your questions to you done is is one of the
1: <laughs>
2: is one of the most powerful ways of yeah. helping somebody come to terms with my trans nature. And, and you might argue that I don't need to do that emotional labour, but for some people it's worth it. It's deciding who that's right for and who that isn't for. Conversations is, is how we learn from each other because I've learned so much from hearing the voices of people from other marginalized communities over the past few years. I'm really grateful to them for sharing their stories. I just hope that my voice can help some people understand the trans experience a bit more.
1: The things that I've learned from working in a gender identity service just from talking to people who are trans and going through these lived experiences is so rich and valuable and I really hope people are having the same experiences from listening to this podcast and, and listening to these amazing people sharing their stories.
0: Do you know what it, it's made me go onto Amazon and trawl for different books that I can find that I can read to understand more because it's made me realize how really ignorant i am about so many different minorities and about how that's on me you know to sort it out and i'm really looking forward to just learning more
1: that's amazing and and i i do the same even even as a gay man i've still known my privilege um without you know any gender dysphoria and i'm white and i think we we can all do more in the world to make it a better place
0: so coming up on next week's episode we meet naz
1: we do. I'm very excited for this episode. Naz is an amazing person with such a great story to tell and lots of lessons learned from his part, but lessons that we can all learn from just listening from his story. Naz is a staff nurse here in Leeds Teaching Hospitals and Naz is a gay man, Muslim and HIV positive.
0: So to make sure you do not miss that episode next week with Naz. Make sure you click follow on the podcast. Uh, Also, please do leave us a rating and a review and we'll see you next week. United Colours, hosted by Caroline Verdon and Paul Carruthers. United Colours is an audio production from Under the Mast.